Am I doing it? If I'm waiting on you. <laughs> Hello, Brandon Gore. Hello, John Schuler. Woo! Hey, buddy. How's it going, John? Going? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. It's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. How about you, man? You've been busy as heck. How's that bathroom coming along? Bathroom is awesome. We made, well, I say we, I, I always do that. I got to stop doing that. It's a bad habit. You know, when you're, when I first started my company, I wanted to be big. I wanted to project that as a big company. Yeah. We'll get back to you soon. Somebody will return your call. Hey, thank you for reaching Gore Design Company. A representative will call you back as soon as possible. You know, blah. I'm at a point now where I want to project that I'm small, that I'm not some big company, you know? So I got to stop speaking in plural. Uh, so I cast a bunch of tile for the bathroom, quarter inch thick, maker mix, tile, 2% AR glass fiber. And they look great. They look great. I did I did a, a little tonal shift. So what I would do is when I'd cast, I would adjust the pigment up or down slightly. It was, it was a 1% loading-ish. So I do 67 grams on this batch and I do 73 on this one and 60 on this one and... I would do that so they would all be slight, each batch would be slightly different shades. And then I mixed them all up before I, before I tiled and man, I love it. I just went in there a minute ago and looked at it. So I finished grouting a couple days ago. The grout's finally kind of evening out as it cures and it just looks great. It looks amazing. I love it. I got to admit, man, the only thing running through my head right now is like, uh-huh, that's your super inaccurate scale that you're trying to make up for. <laughs> your point zero zero one gram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know, needs. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, if I, was a, if I was a real professional, I would have a scale that, exactly. that went to a thousandth of a gram. And the funny thing is, John, I do have those scales. I have them back there, yeah. the, the O-House or O-House. No, I, I think you need to. I mean, I've seen the picture. So anybody who hasn't, anybody listening and hasn't seen what we're talking about, there, there's some really cool pictures, or I think they're cool pictures. Yeah. Of, of your bathroom wall, the tiles you've been working on, and quite frankly, based on the tonal shifts and the way the tiles are arranged, I think it, it creates a, a much better three-dimensional kind of thing between the way the lights are, the shading, the change in color, the whole nine yards. It's, it really is a cool look, man. I mean, not to pump you up, but I mean, it really is a cool look. Yeah, keep going, John. Keep going. Yeah, keep going, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let it on. Lay it on me. Uh, so, yeah, anybody who has not seen what we're talking about or interested in seeing, uh, you posted them on, I think, the Kodiak forum page, right? Kodiak Materials forum page. Yeah, it's on Facebook. It's on my Instagram, too. If you just go to Hard Goods okay. Co., C-O, Hard Goods Co. on Instagram, you'll find them. Yeah, right so, on. Yeah, so it, it was fun. And yeah, the design, I called it the stream of consciousness tile design. And the reason is I did a triangle, an equilateral triangle, and then I divided it into quarters. And there's a little bit more to it than that because of the grout lines and the dimensions. And it took some finagling to get it exactly Right, but I, I got it dialed. So anyways, once you put one tile and then you put uh, another tile next to it, essentially it becomes an infinite pattern variation. You just start setting. Boom, 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 small, small, large, small, large, 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 small. And you just, it, they nest perfectly. And it just starts to create a, a infinitely variable pattern, which I love, I love. You could take them and, and do a repeating pattern if you wanted. I think you'd lose the magic of this design if you did that, but somebody could, I mean, 
you know, I'm going to be selling these mold soon, by the way, anybody that sees this are like, Oh dude, that's really cool. And it could be used for floors. It could be used for walls. I'm using it for a wall, but these molds, hopefully I've got a lot of client work on my queue right now, but hopefully I can get through this client work and then I can get to producing these molds for, for retail. And so they will be available hopefully January, maybe February. We'll see. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you've been clearly busy, so it, it looks nice. Thanks, Yeah, man. I can't wait to see, I mean, see the rest of it once it comes together. Yeah. What do you put, like a pottery barn vanity in there or something? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, what I did, uh, you know, my last shop in uh, Eureka Springs, I did a floating vanity. So I built a cabinet and you know, mounted it to the wall and had to be strong enough to hold the weight of the concrete sink. I did a concrete erosion sink on it and it was really cool and I liked it. But there's diminishing returns for the amount of work that goes into things. And that was one of them. That was a lot of work uh, to, yeah. to get that effect. And when it was all said and done, nobody even noticed. It was one of those things. It's like, eh, eh. So this time I bought these Ikea metal office cabinets for the front office and I store a bunch of stuff up here in the front office and those and they're really nice. They're just all metal, white, matte white cabinets. And I bought one to use as the, the vanity cabinet in the bathroom. So I'm going to have to modify the back because it's metal to get it to, to fit over the plumbing. But that way it all matches. So we'll have a white, matte white metal cabinet with a concrete sink. And it's going to have a really cool floating sink that floats off one side. And uh, But yeah, so that's the plan for that. Cool. But yeah, some stuff left to do. i got to fabricate a, a cool mirror and um, some other little details in there. And I bought some artwork, which I'm excited about. There's this artist, Mark Maggiore, Maggiore, Maggiore. I don't know. He's in Taos. I followed him for a long time, but he does Western art. He's a younger guy, but he's been setting records for the sales of his paintings. Like his originals are going for 600,000 plus per painting. And, um, but he does biannual prints. So twice a year is the only time you can buy his prints for 36 hours, which I think is a kind of smart thing he's doing because if they're always for sale, they wouldn't be in demand. But he does this 36-hour block twice a year and people just go crazy. His website crashed uh, because so many people are buying prints. So anyways, I bought, I bought a bunch of prints for the office. I'm going to cast really cool concrete frames, which I've done concrete frames in the past and I love them. So I'm going to cast really cool concrete frames and hang those here in the front studio. And uh, another thing that's cool, just sitting here right now recording, as we did these concrete window sills or window stools, as you stools. Yeah, yeah, as you inform me, they're called window stools. Yep. So these windows are really deep. The walls, this, this is a metal building. They furred the walls out on the inside to insulate. So there's like a 12 inch return for the, the windows. And it was just a drywall return. And the bottom, which I keep calling the sill, but it's called a stool, the bottom was just drywall. So it gets dusty, it looks messy. You know, you don't want to set a drink on it because the water is going to soak into the drywall over time. You don't want to put a potted plant on it. So anyways, this last workshop, we did a fundamentals workshop, a one and a half day, and we templated these uh, window stools and we built the forms. So what was cool about that class, John, was when the people showed up, there was nothing done. So they showed up and I said, here's what. Oh, you didn't pull the cookie cutter show kind of idea? No, um, you know, that's demo days, things like a demo day, like where it's a, yeah. a four hour class or six hour class. You have to, there's no way not to. So you have to have stuff pre-done and you have to have stuff pre-cast and you have to have all that stuff because you don't have time to do it. 
business class, when the attendee showed up, I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to template all these window stools. And we're also going to make a, a concrete countertop as well. But we're going to go through the whole process. So we came in, we, we templated, we did, you know, all this stuff, <clears throat> just like I would for, for any project in the field. So we made all the notes and overhangs and all that kind of fun stuff. And then we went back and we pulled out melamine and I taught them all how to use the track saw. So we cut all the melamine for the, to make the forms, the edge strips, everything. We went through ways to fasten molds, how to build molds, different methods of attachment, um, taught them how to use pocket screws, how to actually attach pocket screws. There's some tricks to that, how to caulk, how to clean the forms. We did all that, how to batch, cast, cure. And then on day two, which was the half day, we came in and we um, did all the processing to the underside before we flipped it, flipped it, uh, processed the tops, did all the diamond hand pads on the, the roundovers and acid etching and everything. And then at that point, it's about 11 p. or I'm sorry, 11 a.m., and then we spend the next hour discussing sealing. And then at noon, we're done and everybody takes off, head to the airport and hops a plane back. So yeah, it was a lot of well, fun. We, yeah. When we talked about the very beginning offering things like that, I just, you know, <clears throat> and I'm not blaming anybody who may take this the wrong way. I think, I think fundamentals in so many things they get, I think people make them too complicated in oh, my yeah, opinion of course. and maybe yeah. a little too overwhelming. So a day and a half, two days to come in, really learn fundamentals of, you know, mixes and mixing and, you know, how to use track saws and how to do forming and templating. And it's really, I don't want to say it's easy, but it shouldn't be that complicated. It, it really shouldn't. And, um, you know, experience, having done it long enough, it's not, it's really not that, that complicated. So what's that saying, John, never ask an insurance salesman if you need more insurance. Yeah, right. So <laughs> yeah, right. they'll always say yes, right? And so yeah. I think there's there's people out there that are only in the business of doing classes. That's their only business, their only source of income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, of course, they want to sell you a five-day class instead of a one-and-a-half-day class because they're charging right. per day, and they make a lot more money on a five-day. So, of course, of course. You got it. Of, you got, it takes 100 days to learn this, you know, it's... Uh, well, I'm sure that's part of it. Oh, that's 100% of it. it is, and then I think the other part of it is they're, they're the inexperience, too. I inexperience, mean, that's, yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. That's the To me, that's the probably the much larger overwhelming tone is when a person overcomplicates it, it's, a, it's, I mean, for anything we do, you know what I mean? If I take my truck in to, to the mechanic and, well, here's an example. The other day, you know, I was replacing a door sensor, right? And I'm like, ah, perfect opportunity. Jay and I are going to do this together, you know, dad and son time, and we're just going to switch out this little sensor. Well, for me, by the time I did YouTube, I mean, it just seems so complicated and getting the, you know, blah, 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 where, you know, the reality is that whole thing should have taken probably 30 minutes. And instead it took us well over a half a day overcomplicated, meaning, see, I don't have experience doing that kind of stuff. So of mm -hmm. course it seems a lot. It's, of course it seems overwhelming. And then if I was to teach somebody else, well, due to my inexperience, I would probably want to maintain that overcomplicated persona so that you take the, you know, so that your dollars goes into my pocket for more days than potentially necessary but I don't think it's necessary because I think it's necessary because I don't have the experience. I don't do this. 
I mean, that's just my, what I'm seeing. No, for sure. I think your mechanic analogy is a good one. Although it was a little convoluted to follow there. Oh, really? A little bit, but well, it, it if always If you ever is. did a door sensor, man, you can see what's going on. <laughs> but no, I, th- I think you're right. I think, you know, if you go to a young mechanic who doesn't have a lot of firsthand experience doing whatever it is, maybe they went to school and they got certified, whatever. They have yeah. their certification. Hey, look at my diploma. I'm certified. Right. Okay. And then there's the old guy over there. He's been doing it for 20, 30 years. So the, the young dude with all his, you know, all his certifications and he's going to go through all everything before he ends up at the solution because he doesn't know what he doesn't know yet. Right. And then the old man over there who has been doing his whole life pulls up, turn it on real quick. Yeah. Okay. Boom. Done. Give me a second. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Done. I don't need to do all that stupid stuff that the young kid over there with his certifications is doing. Hey, John, I'm forklift certified. And again, not that he's not (laughs) trying. I mean, you know, not that he's not trying. I get it. Um, he, just but, doesn't, he, doesn't, know, he doesn't know what he doesn't know yet. He's, he's too, uh, too much of a novice. So anyways, back to where all this started, yeah. John, was I'm sitting yeah. here and I'm looking at these window stools, these concrete window sills. I'll still call them a sill. But these concrete um, pieces, and it adds just this little detail. If you have deep window returns in your house or your home, consider doing this. They're one-inch thick, SEC, direct cast, maker mix, sealed with ICT, and they look, it adds such a level of refinement and luxury to the space. Before it looked cheap, the the window returns look cheap because they're drywall. But the concrete, it's just, it's so nice. It's so nice. I'll, at some point I'll take a photo and publish it. Yeah, super cool. But it's just a nice detail. Just the little details matter. And this is a good one. So anyways, uh, what else is going on, John? Uh, that's it, man. That's it? We're going to hit for a cool how-to. Oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, I mean, so based on the your tile wall, mm-hmm. I think what a cool how-to would be, and and I think this is, boy, man, probably 90% of my tech support when helping people with, whether it be ICT or other ceiling technologies, and I know I probably shouldn't do that because I always say, you know, hey, give so-and-so a call. You know, with his, and you know, talk to them first before you talk to me. I actually got a someone who hit me yesterday and started laughing when that was my text back, like, hey, what did you call them first? (laughs) Wait, what's going on? Somebody's asking for tech support on something else? Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. 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 But I'm not going to throw the name out there because I don't want to throw them under the bus. No, Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't begrudging anybody for using other products, but if you're using another product and you're having a problem with that product, call that person. That sold you the product. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. So, but anyway, where I was going with all this is I'll bet 90% comes back to how to set expectations. And along this conversation, because there's probably people like, oh, they just rolled their eyes like, great, another how to set expectations. I'm not talking about sealer. I'm not talking about scratching. I'm not talking about stain resistance. I'm not talking about cracks. I'm not talking about any of this kind of stuff. I find that the number one influencer in how to set expectations is us. Yeah. And setting, I mean, like literally building confidence in ourselves that there's no apologies for whatever we're making and how we're making it, the materials we're using, you know, learn to embrace, 
You know, even if it's you know, stand in front of that mirror until you tell yourself you're pretty enough, then you actually, you know, believe you're pretty. It worked for me. It worked for me. Yeah, dude, I'm hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, that's the number one. So where this goes full circle is I was sitting there looking at that wall, right? Yeah. And I was looking at the uh, the different size menage a trois that you had going on the in there. What? Do you know what that means? Do you know what menage a trois means? Yeah, it's a triangle. No. Well, sort of. Kind of. It is. I just looked it up, dude. (laughs) That's why I knew I could throw it in here without being sounding silly. (laughs) Did you know a synonym for a triangle is menage a trois? Okay. So So when I say to my wife, hey, we should have menage a trois, I just mean we should have a triangle? What does that even mean, John? (laughs) When you came home to like, dude, I worked all day on my menage a trois. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, God. I, I, I'm giggling over here because I literally looked it up. I'm like, what are synonyms <laughs> for tri- pyramid triangle? And I'm like, huh. Turns out menage oh. a trois. Sweet. So. You sound so learned. I had to work it in. Yeah, I had okay. to work it in. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so I was looking at that <laughs> between the variance in color and the way you had them, you know, that alone, if, if you not, not again, you're not doing this for somebody else. This is you. If you had not already built a confidence in the material you're using. Now I know you did it on purpose, but let's say you didn't the basic variation that happened in all those tiles with the various castings and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then you would step back and want to rip your hair out or in your case, your beard out, you know, like, Oh my gosh, it's, you know, it's menage a trois (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, And so where I'm going with it is, uh, you know, without the rest of it is what are strategies and what are strategies you've done specifically? And I'll talk about mine uh, later. What are strategies that you've done over the years of working this material that's helped you become confident and in a way set your expectations so that those expectations is the passion to sell to the clients, which has helped you with your client base and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Go for it. Well, John, that's a good question. And it is, it is timely because with, uh, Kodak Pro Maker Mix, you know, we've, we talked about two podcasts ago, what we called Sam again, but essentially one of our raw material suppliers stopped production of a sand we used. And we had to switch to another sand that was, you know, very similar, but slightly different color. And so when people did a deep exposure, there was some flecks of, of color in there that, that they didn't like. And so we stopped production and we found a replacement sand, which we can talk about that later. But anyways, the whole point with that is the, the issue that we were hearing from people, specifically one person, I talked to him yesterday, was he had made samples of maker mix, present to a client. And then when he delivered the piece or when he finished the piece, the, the flecks of sand were, you know, a different color than what he showed them and they didn't like it. Right. And so yep. the expectation hadn't been set on his part to the customer and really on our part to, to him. And we should set that expectation that when you're using a natural material, 
when you're using natural sands, and we have four different sands in Maker Mix, and they're all mined out of the ground. And so if you mine 10 feet deeper, 20 feet deeper, it's going to be a different color. You know, if you mine on that side of the mine versus this side of the mine, it's a different color. And so the, the variability in color is just inherent in natural products. And I just want to tell you, I, I have samples. I've been making concrete samples for 20 years, and I have a label on the underside of the sample. And I would encourage everybody listening to please write this verbiage down. I'm going to read my, my label to you. The disclaimer. And it's not even a disclaimer. I mean, it's, it's in big letters on the back, so it's not, you're not going to miss it because it's fine print. But this is what it says, John. It says, Our products are handmade from natural materials. Variation in color, dimension, and porosity will occur. Samples should only be used as a general representation of the material. That is 100% how I feel. When I give a, a sample to a customer, I'm very straightforward with them. They say, oh, we're looking for a charcoal, we're looking for, you know, a light gray, dark gray, whatever. And I send them samples and I say, these are samples. When we make the piece, it'll be very close to this. But if I cast on, you know, a Wednesday versus a Thursday, if I cast when it's cold versus hot, if I cast, you know, there, there's slight differences in the mix. And that's part of it. And they expect that. They expect that. And if the expectation is set from the outset, nobody's upset about anything. It's the material. The material is a natural material and nobody, nobody uh, has any issue. The problem is when that expectation isn't set. And, well, um, kind of, but where I'm going with it is, so with you personally, because, yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. I'm right there. So what are things that you, and again, maybe they weren't specific. I don't know. But what are things that you, because I, I know you probably went through the same thing all of us have gone through. You probably went through a period of time where, you almost felt like you had to be apologetic about whatever you were making, right? And yeah, uh, you brought something in, like, eh, yeah. So I'm just saying, what what helped you along this path of you know blankety blank years to build the confidence and understanding to set your expectations, which now your expectation becomes a confidence building thing. So when you go to that customer, it's a very I hate to use the word apologetic, but it's completely unapologetic. It's, well, it's like, honest. Yeah. It's an honest conversation. It's honest. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, honest. Well, that's a good way. <clears throat> I don't know if I ever was apologetic about the material, John. Uh, I mean, I, I know people are. I know people out there that feel that the material is lacking in some way and they need to apologize for that as far as concrete, the material itself. For whatever reason, they they just they don't accept it for what it is. I've always accepted concrete for what it is. I went through a phase, and everybody goes to this phase, where you aim for absolute perfection. And so you get into concrete because you love concrete. And you get into concrete because you cast something, and you demolded it, and you're like, oh, my God, I made this. This is insane. It's incredible. And, you, you know, it's just it's so exciting. But the the more you learn the more your expectations become perfection and you start expecting the concrete, you personally, not the customer, starts expecting it to be absolutely flawless, no variation in color, no modeling, no sand fleck colors anywhere, nothing. You want it to be perfect. You want it to be Corian. That's what you have in your mind. This is what concrete should be. But concrete's like, F you, that's not what I am. I'm not that. I'm a real thing, brother. And so once the artisan 
goes through that cycle. And again, I went through it. Everybody goes through it. It's just part of it. I get it. But once you come back around and that pendulum swings all the way the other way and you're like, man, I love concrete for concrete. And I think everybody gets there at some point. Then it's like, it's like, you know, when you, when you get to a certain age and you settle into your own skin and you don't care what other people think and you're comfortable in who you are at that point in life. That's what it is at this point. When you're comfortable with the material for what it is and you're honest with the client about what it is, everybody has a much more relaxed approach to it. It's when you go into it hyper about every little thing. And if you go into it with a client that's hyper about everything, they're not a good fit for concrete. Yeah. But I would say that's just, for me, my experience was I went through that, but I've, I've never been apologetic for concrete. And I've always been 100% honest with people. And I've always been very honest that concrete is a real thing and concrete like a real wood floor, a real leather chair, copper gutters, cedar siding. These are all things that age gracefully in time. And that's what concrete should do. If you cover concrete in plastic, like an epoxy, you're going to encapsulate it forever. And you lost the soul of the material and you should have just done coring at that point. So I've always been very honest in that honesty has has worked well for me at this point it's here's concrete this is what we love about it and they're like i love that too great you're gonna love this material so yeah i I think it's just setting expectations out the gate what i would say john and i was i was thinking about this earlier back to the whole sand thing which there's there's ways if sand is an issue for a customer right for if you're a concrete artisan and you do deep exposures if sand color is an issue we have a product called Radmix, and Radmix is an ad mix without cement or sand in it. And you're able to source your own sands and use your own cement. And in that way, you have full control over whenever you expose it. You, you know, it's your sand you're exposing, whatever you purchased. And I was saying to you, like, you know, for a lot of years, I was buying Medicalin, I was buying VCAS, I was making my own uh, mix using number 30 silica sand and liquid polymer. I was doing that. And, you know, the, the mix, it was, the sand was always just number 30 silica, which is like a gold color. And it was okay. It wasn't great. It didn't have the realness that I wanted in concrete because it was just number 30 silica sand. So when you expose the sand, it was just like gold spots, you know. It didn't have the, the organic soul of concrete, but really the reason that we use the sands that we use in this mix is for particle compaction. So we're choosing sands based on gradation and particle shape and water absorption. Those are the defining criteria. And so what we're getting with these sands is the surface density, which is what we're, we're looking for. That's what we ultimately want with the performance of this mix is density of the mix. But what I, I guess where I was going with this is if somebody is, if that's their, their concern, their issue, we have an option. Rad mix. So you can yeah, use rad mix, cool. use your own cements, use your own sands, and you have full control. Well, what I was going to say. What are you going to say, John? Was, Tell here's me what, what gonna I say. am going to say. Tell me. Is for me, and I think part of, a huge part of it is because of where I live. And not that where I live has any more history than when any, where anybody else lives, but I live in the, you know, the old mother load gold area. So... There are anything from old mines, you know, uh, old buildings, things have been here since the, you know, as, as far back as the late 17 to mid 1800s and et cetera. 
for me, a defining moment, if I walk back about 20 years, 25 maybe, is I walked into one of the stone buildings in downtown Angels Camp. I, I apologize. I'm going to call it a stone building. And I walked in, and the first thing I noticed when I walked in there was the wood floors. And then there was this, I don't know, like this built-in cabinetry along the sides. And then I had gone even further back into the bathroom, and there was these old marble surfaces in there that, you know, it was pretty odd. They, they've been there forever. You know, it was pretty cool. For me, that was a defining moment. And I turned back out of the bathroom and I looked and the thought that hit my head was like, dang, man, if there was like for two hours, a time machine to go back and let this building tell me the story, the story of every nick in the floor, you know what I mean? The story of this cabinet that came in and who put it in and what was going on. And it turns out this building was a pharmacy, the, you know, an old time pharmacy, downtown angels camp. And that's for me, the moment that these thought process started coming to my head to say like, well, wait a minute, man, why am I like legitimately wasting my time to, to make things for people that aren't going to tell a story? So the, the best story told is whatever I put in that day, and there's no change in character. You know, there's no new line on the fence, the face. Your your child never gets any taller. You know, you don't get to live, you don't get to live the story. You yeah. know what I mean? That to me was the moment I look back and realized that's when I faced my own expectations and what it was I was making for clients and how to pass that passion, if you will, to a client that made them go, well, hell yeah, that's what I want. I want that leather jacket that doesn't look like the day I bought it. I, I want it to live the story with me as I'm riding, riding my, my motorcycle and the the little scratch you remember when you went through some town in Oklahoma. You know what I mean? It's So that's where I went with it. And when I, let's say, in my heart and soul embraced that philosophy, and an, I'll give you another defining moment. The time, actually, I came out to your place for the first time and went up to that Crescent Hotel at the top of the hill up oh, there. In Eureka Springs, yeah. In Eureka Springs, yeah. yeah. And... I went into the dining room and immediately pictured, I don't remember how old that Crescent Hotel is, but oh, the, like the wood, old. old wood, yeah, the old, old wood floors in there were checked and scratched. And again, I just thought, man, think of every ballroom dance that took place in here, you know? And I think there was a period of time it was a um, insane asylum or something too, right? Yeah, so there's uh, probably anyway. fingernail gouges in the floor where they're yeah, trying to get knows, away. Man. Yeah, who knows, But as I sat there eating my breakfast, <laughs> I, this is no kidding, I, I probably could be eating the worst gruel in the world, but I was just completely mesmerized by this floor. I remember you told me about it when you came in, you were talking right. about the floor. Yeah. The, the, the story that it could tell 
throughout the years. And then I was bummed out. I think I told the last time before we left, they had sanded the floors and redid them. And, and I was like, oh, man, it just no, no. It took is. away a hundred years of storytelling here. I mean, there was probably some woman who flew in one time and you know what I mean? That it, it dropped her glass. I mean, who knows? But that to me is when all of my expectation truly transcended onto the, to my customer base, to my clients. Yeah. That's when I openly embraced what I'm doing. I didn't have to make it for what it doesn't have to be. It's going to be and pure honesty from that point. And when that happened and it wasn't just a light bulb moment, when that happened, I'll still say there was a major transition between how the materials were presented and I mean, literally, if I could draw a chart, it was a direct ascending line to the customer base that I started tapping into. Well, you're talking about that. I was thinking you're talking about uh, a leather jacket. I bought this bag, this uh, briefcase from a company called Saddleback Leather. And I've had it now, I don't know, about a year probably. And it is getting better and better and better as where it rubs against my body when I'm carrying it, you know, the leather is aging, just the, the realness of the material. Had I bought a fabric briefcase or a pleather briefcase or anything that was not a real thing, it wouldn't have that, um, yeah. it wouldn't have that realness to it. But it's funny when you're, when you're telling me the story of, of kind of the, the first moment, I do remember my first experience and mine was different than yours in the sense of, Mine was essentially the client telling me that they didn't like the perfection. So what happened was there was an architect in Phoenix, Arizona named Luis Salazar, phenomenal architect. He's still, still practicing. And Luis hired me to make his concrete countertops. Now, Buddy Rhodes products back in the day when it was actually owned by Buddy Rhodes, which is a long time ago because it's gone through a couple owners now. But way back in the day, Buddy Rhodes products... I bought his uh, first pile to mix he ever sold, but I used to buy his mix and there wasn't really any clear cut instructions on dosing water. And I remember when I first met Buddy, he was showing me how to mix even it. Even for Buddy. Oh my God. Buddy's <laughs> I don't measuring think thing. there was any clear cut instructions. <laughs> he was spraying water into this barrel mixer. I'm like, all right, Buddy, how much, how much water are you adding? He's like, Psh, about that much. Mm, is, that a, is that a quart? Is that two quarts? Is that a gallon? Psh, looks about right. But buddy, how much is it? He's like, eh, you know, that big smile on his face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so anyways, there wasn't really any clear cut instructions on, on dosing water. And so when I, when I made this countertop for Luis Salazar, I was still pretty much winging it. You know, there wasn't, we weren't using ice. We weren't using plasticizer. We weren't using anything. I mean, polymers weren't even being used. This is pre GFRC. This was, you know, this was way back in the day. I put way too much water in the mix, way too much water in the mix. And I cast the countertops for his house. And when I, when I did a light polish on it and sealed it, it had crazing, which is like little microscopic cracks, like a spider web, spider web of cracks all to the surface. Looked like an old ceramic pl- or old porcelain plate. Mm-hmm. So I didn't like it at all, but I know that he needed his countertops. He had like plywood in his kitchen and he needed countertops. So I installed them and he was there when I installed them. 
But I told him, I'm going to remake these. These are not up to my standard. He's like, oh, I like them. But I, he told me already that he used his house as a, as a, like a meeting space, but a showroom also for his clients to show ideas. So he told me he's going to bring clients by to show them these countertops. And because I knew that, and I told him, I, I said, no, 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 no. I'm going to remake these. These, they shouldn't be like this. I don't like it. This isn't as, as good as it could be. I'm going to redo them. He's like, no, I like them. I'm like, I'm telling you, I'm going to remake them, bro. I'm going to remake them. (laughs) So I go back and this time I use Quickrete instead of the Buddy Rhodes mix. I use Quickrete and I, you know, didn't use too much water this time. And I, and I demold them and I slurry them and I polish them and I slurry them and I polish them and I slurry them and I polish them. And I do this again and again and again. And I get every last little pinhole and every last little air hole filled. And I polish that thing like 3000 grit and I seal it and I wax it. And it is perfect, perfect, <laughs> perfect. So I called Luis and I uh, said, hey, your countertops are done. He said, great. You know, um, he gave me a, a key code or he left a key. I can't remember exactly, but um, and maybe I've told the story. I feel like I've told the story, but I'll tell it again. So he, so he said, yeah, just go ahead and, and uh, go on in and you can take out the old ones, put the new ones in. So I go to his house, take out the old countertops and put in the new ones. But when I took out the old ones, instead of just putting them on the racks of my trailer, I just broke them in the driveway and threw them in the trailer because I didn't feel like strapping uh. them down and all that kind of stuff. So I just threw them in the trailer. So anyways, you know, I, I shim everything in his, on his new countertops. I tape it. I silicone it. It is as good as good can be. I leave. He gets home from work that day. He calls me. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. What do you mean you hate it? He's like, they don't look like concrete. They, they, they look too perfect. They don't look like concrete. I was like, what are you talking about? That's concrete, bro. He's like, yeah. I want a, I want my old countertops back. I'm like, I broke your old countertops. They're in a dumpster <laughs> right now. <laughs> He's like, I don't like these. I'm like, well, I don't want to tell you because that is, that is perfect. He's like, but I don't want perfect. And that was my moment where I realized that I had become focused on perfection when a customer, you know, this really well-known architect in Phoenix he could have gotten perfection. He could have gone right. down and got stainless steel. He could have gone down and gotten Corian. He could have gotten some soulless granite covered in epoxy. There was a ton of options for him if that's what he wanted, but he did not want that. He wanted organic. He wanted real. He wanted something like an old leather sofa, copper, copper gutters, cedar yep. siding, concrete countertops. When I delivered that first countertop that I had messed up, in my opinion, and put too much water in and had those imperfections. It was the imperfection that he responded to. That's what he loved about the material. He loved the realness of it. So that for me was my moment. And that was, you know, the kick I needed to be like, oh, I, I, I forgot at that point, I remembered what I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten that customers want concrete because they want something that's real. And from that moment on, I embraced the realness and I've set expectations accordingly. Now we strive for perfection. Well, and, that, and, that, and that goes full circle for me because as we're talking about honesty in materials, this is so many places where I think all of us got off track again. Because I can hear somebody already, you know, put me a message like, yeah, man, you know, pinholes are real. Or where's the honesty <laughs> in, you know, in the you know, moon crater finish. Yeah. I need a crack uh, running right through it. That's honest. No, it's not. That's an easy answer for me. Cause I'm still going to say, I think where so many of us got off track 
and now I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm back in something that I'm comfortable again is again, we started pumping stuff full of plastic and then that plastic created issues. I.e. polymer. Then, we started, right, and we, yeah. you know, and then we kept punching ourselves in the groin. I would say in the, but you could beep, um, <laughs> you know, to, to accept this for what it is and this da 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 da. And I'm like, yeah, no, man. And so I, I went through a, that transition difficulty where I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, this, this is not, I don't know. It's really uncomfortable. And, and then we all end up, you know, down a, a rabbit hole of which sealer's better, you know, is a topical that peels and scratches versus, you know, anyway, blah. And, but the reality is I got away from the honesty of the material. And I think in a lot of ways, I also watched my business suffer. Meaning when I say business, it's not like I wasn't still selling things, but my customer base started transitioning again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't touching into that customer base that, you know, that liked buying the older car, you know what I mean? Who, who, who liked seeing these things. They wanted to see these things. They were going to pay the money for the hand hewn beams. They were going to do these kind of things. And here I come along again, like, yeah. And then here you go. I got, to, you know, my concrete plastic, plasticrete. Mm, that's not really what we're looking for, John. What do you mean? Why wouldn't you want it? You, you got to do this. And now I'm back again. I mean, I, I got, a, I think I told you a project I'm probably going to put off till the first of the year because of everything going on. You know, th this is a customer base. And I, and I hope this message gets out to people who, who listen that the customer base you start tapping into, number one, not all of them, and you can certainly make anything for who you want, they often become the more affluent. You know, people that they want to spend the money on honest things, on real things. And that's, which is great. It's a great because what you're making and how you're making it and who you're making it for changes dramatically. You know, we always talk price score, but really it's value that you become a far more valuable, um, you know, artisan to them or maker to them or whatever, you know, craft concrete person to them, whatever you want to call yourself. And it really transitions and it transfusions transitions in such a wonderful way. But a huge part of that, if I can put that out there, is we as artisans learn to embrace your materials, learn to be honest with yourself and honest with your materials. And I think, you know, 99% of the time, you're going to come to where the rest of us are, whether we're talking sealers or concrete or anything, is when you get honest, real honest, it changes dramatically. So that to me, I know it's a long way of talking about setting an expectation, but that I think is a huge part of the expectations that all of us had to learn. I agree. I... I... I want to add two things. We've talked about it before, but luxury, true luxury for, for the affluent clientele is real. If you ever look at a truly affluent client's house, you go into their house, it is not a pergo floor. It is not a Corian countertop. It is not, you know, painted walls. They're going to have the American clay hand troweled walls. They're going to have a, 
uh, real wood floor, probably reclaimed, and it's going to be old growth oak from 200 years ago. They're going to have a soapstone countertop. They're going to have things that are real. That is luxury. Yeah. Things that are fake, things that are plastic, things that never age, that's going to be an apartment complex. That's going to be a McDonald's. That's going to be those types of places. So there's there's definitely a clientele that responds to things that are honest and real. And so that is the, the affluent clientele. The second thing I want to talk about is you're right. You know, we're, we're saying something and then there's going to be competitors out there or I wouldn't call them competitors, but there's going to be people out there that do shoddy work that sell crap products and are going to take our language and try to use that to sell what they're doing. Oh, this is embracing the material because it has a billion pinholes in it. No, 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 no. Do not bastardize what we're saying with that type of crap sales pitch, right? Here's my, here's what I'm saying. There's a really famous woodworker named Noguchi. He's passed away, but he's super famous. And he would take wood slabs, live oak or or live uh, edge wood slabs and let them cure for years and years and years. And he would study them and think about them for years before he would make it into a piece of furniture. And then he would take that piece of wood and he would do meticulous craftsmanship to make the base, to, to do whether it was a chair or a table or whatever it was. Very, very high level, meticulous, precise craftsmanship. But he embraced the character of the wood. He took what was real and the imperfections that were inherent in that piece of wood and embraced it and made it part of it, but focused on the quality of the craft. And that's why Noguchi is in the Museum of Modern Art. That's why Noguchi, his name will live forever because he did extremely high-end craftsmanship at the same time embracing the honesty of the material. And so what I encourage people to do and what I do in my own studio is I aim for perfection. Meaning when I build my mold, I build it as precise as can be. When I silicone my form, I do it as cleanly as I can get it. When I clean the form, I'm super meticulous to go through that. When I batch, when I cast, when I cure, when I finish, when I seal, when I crate, every single aspect of the process, I do the best that I can. But when I cast a piece of concrete and I demold it and there's some modeling of color, or maybe here's a fiber over here that ghosted slightly, or there was one little air pocket on, on the roundover. I let that be. I don't sweat it. When I demold a piece, I'm looking at these windowsills right now. There is not a pinhole, not a thousand. If you took a needle and you poked it in a piece of paper, there's not a pinhole that size to be found anywhere on the surface. They are insanely functional surfaces, extremely durable, extremely life-friendly. They will last forever. But when I was building the forms for the fundamentals class, we caulk the round over. That's going to be the front edge that we want to round over. But I did not caulk the other sides that are going to be touching the walls. And the attendees asked about that. They're like, well, you know, is the water going to create, is water going to seep out right there because he didn't seal it? Yes. Yes, it will. It will. And I call that a watermark. And what happens is when I demold it, there's going to be a slightly lighter color in those areas. Now, once we acid etch it and seal it, it's pretty much 100% goes away. But occasionally you do get it to where you still see a, a lighter area. And that is what I'm talking about. That is embracing the imperfection of the material. You let the material be real. I've literally had customers. I did a table. Maybe I'll post it in the show notes of this. I did a table 
for this uh, uh, coffee shop in Phoenix called um, Royal Coffee Bar. And when I cast it, mm-hmm. I didn't cure it properly. I put uh, plastic directly on the back of the concrete, which we don't recommend. We recommend felt. And the reason we recommend felt is if you just put plastic water, the, the you know evaporation is going to build up on the underside of that plastic. It can wick underneath the concrete. It happens sometimes. Yeah. It doesn't happen all the yeah, time. That's but it, just bad practice. Yeah. yeah. But I, I was that day, I was in a hurry. Maybe I had to leave early. If I put the felt on, it would have bonded. So I just put plastic. I don't know why I just put the plastic, but I did. So when I flipped the pieces, one piece had this big water mark where water had wicked underneath and uh, created this, this water mark. And I was like, oh God, I got to recast this thing. You know, it was inch and a half thick, four foot by eight foot. Uh, I was like, uh, whatever. But I flipped it over and uh, I just took a photo of it. I put the four slabs together as they're going to be for the table. And I took a photo and I sent it to the customer this architect, Hayes McNeil, Hayes McNeil plus minus studio. I sent Hayes the, the photo. He's like, dude, I love it. I love it. Okay. So I finished, I acid etched it. I sealed it. I put the mounts on. I assembled the table, delivered it. He, when he came to the table, I mean, the table is perfect. There wasn't, again, there wasn't any imperfections besides this discoloration watermark, which didn't create any imperfection in the surface, meaning it wasn't rough. It wasn't, you know, it was dead smooth, but it was just this color discoloration. And he walks up and he's like, he's like, I love this table. He's like, I love this, this, this is what I love. Of course, that's what you love. That is the, the <laughs> realness of the material. That yeah, is the real story told. Yeah, that's yeah. the soul. And that's what he responded to. And again, it was that, uh, another kick I needed of like, yes, this is what customers want. You, you strive to do your best. Now that day I didn't do my best. I, you know, I, I know to put felt. You strive to do your best. But when things come about, you embrace it for what it is. You know? So you don't want to misconstrue a crappy material like a polymer modified concrete that has all this whipped and trained air into it and you have all these pinholes. No, no, that's not honesty materials. That's just a crappy material. You know? You're trying to put lipstick on a pig and call it something that's not. But if you, if you use a material that's inherently dense, it doesn't have all those issues, and you do the best you can, and you strive for perfection all through the process, you let the chips fall where they may, and you accept the material for what it is. And if you do that, and you, you believe in the material, and your customer believes in the material, and your customer believes in you, everybody's happy. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, so if that's my message to anybody about setting expectations is, and even though we use these words like embrace or, you know, whatever, and it's not about like even to yourself, it's not about apologizing to yourself for what it is. It's, it's, ex- and I even hate using the word I was going to say accept because sometimes accepting means like, ah, I guess this is what, no man. I mean like step on a soapbox for a minute and be like, dude, this is what I do. And this is why I do it. And once anybody can get that into their soul, again, don't, you know, you're not trying to become your own salesman. Um, but once you've done that, that's when you'll take everything to new heights, new heights. Uh, yeah. I know that's definitely what I've seen throughout my career, uh, customer bases, you know, square foot prices, you know, things that jump significantly who I'm doing it for, what they love and why they love it. And then with that all, I keep bringing the psychological side of it. I love it. 
I love it. And I love that I'm doing it for them because they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a completely enlightening moment for all of us and a very freeing moment when you can get to that point. You know, I, I told about this countertop, um, I don't know. I, I remember telling the story. I just don't remember which podcast it was on. But the last story I'll tell that relates to this was I had a customer come to me and he wanted a countertop for his restaurant in Scottsdale called Sumo Maya. And it was this Asian fusion. And he wanted, he, he lived in Mexico City as well. He lived in Phoenix or Scottsdale in, in Mexico City. And he'd seen all this really rough concrete in Mexico that he loved. And yeah. so the designer, and I remember him, his name was Jeff Lowe, really good designer. He did a lot of really cool restaurants and, and bars and things in Scottsdale. But Jeff Lowe brought the client down to my shop in Tempe. And um, the client came in. He's like, here's what I want. I want like broken edges and exposed rebar. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's Mickey Mouse. That's faux. That's fake. I do not do fake. I'm not going to take chains and beat the concrete and do all that kind of stuff. I don't do that. I say no to clients quite a bit. And I remember Jeff's face when I said to the client, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, no, uh, I'm just, I'm not. I said, but let me tell you, because I'm, I'm hearing what you want and you want the realness and the rawness of what you've seen. So I'm not going to do fake broken concrete. I'm not going to do any of that. But what I will do is I'll do board formed concrete. I'll form the edge with rough sawn lumber. So that's going to pick up what you've seen in Mexico where they're, they're not casting on smooth, they're casting on wood. So I'll do rough sawn lumber for the edge. When I seal it, I'm going to seal it with a sealer called ICT, reactive sealer. I'm going to do one coat only. Okay. I'm not going to go through all the steps. I'm not going to make the thing bomber. I'm going to do one coat and that's going to give it protection, but it's not going to make it impenetrable to stains. Essentially it's going to age. He's like, yes, that's what I want. I said, okay, great. Yeah. So I'm going to do that. And we're just going to let it settle into the space and let it become part of the space. And in, in time, it's going to get to where you want it to be, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to pre-stain it or do, I'm not going to faux anything on it. We're just going to let it be. So that's what I did. I, I did board formed edge. I did one coat of ICT. We installed it and um, he loved it. And then as the years progressed, I'd hear from him from time to time and I'd stop by and look at it and it looked beautiful, beautiful. And again, there was no stains. Yeah. It was no like, there wasn't like a wine stain or oil stain. There was none of that, but it was like my leather bag. It was just worn. It had darkened where, you know, people had been sitting and, and put in her elbows all the time and everything. And um, it was just like like a beautiful piece of wood that had aged gracefully in place. And that's what he had wanted. He didn't want Corian. He could have gone down and gotten concrete Corian, which looks like concrete, but it's never going to age. It's right. always going to be plastic for here into the end of time. That's not what he wanted. So if if you embrace it, and you're honest with yourself, and you're honest with the client, everybody is happy. It's, it's when you have unrealistic expectations, and when your client has unrealistic expectations, that the problems arise. So back to the, where this began, setting honest expectations, having an honest conversation is the best thing you can do for yourself and for your customer, and everybody's happy in the end, if you're honest from the get. Yeah, I yeah. agree. 100% agree. Well, what else? I what got else? one more thing I wanted to throw out there. That well, do it I quick because we've already gone an hour. So say what you're going to say, okay. John. Say it. All right. Say it. <laughs> All right. So something cool I've been working on is um, a new sand company that I'm working with. 
Just got the sands in. They're beautiful. I'm so happy with this. If anybody hasn't been paying attention, we were going through a bit of a Sandmageddon over a, uh, a large company that stopped production on a sand and kind of, you know, anyway, left us all hanging. Not just us, but many companies hanging. And anyway, so those are going into production this week. I am super excited about it, man. Super excited about it. They're, uh, so for anybody interested, you know, again, go to the uh, Kodiak Pro discussion page and could update it on those kind of things. But uh, this is, an once again, a, a new thing, a new exciting time for Kodiak is these sands. This is a sand nobody else is going to have, man. They're super cool. They are so nice. I'm, I'm like I said, genuinely, it took a lot of work. I mean, you know, as I talked to you many times, I mean, it was frustrating as heck to get these things up to speed. But um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. So anybody interested, Kodiak Pro Discussion Group, you know, uh, see what's going on. And once again, man, we're going to have some cool things moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Last thing I want to hit, John, is the fundamentals workshop we have in February. It's February 10th Ooh. and 11th, which is a Saturday and a Sunday. And so you can fly in, you know, you can work on Friday. Catch the flight out of your wherever you're at on Friday evening, and then you come to the class Saturday. Sunday's a half day. Catch the flight home Sunday afternoon, and you're back to work on Monday, so you're not going to miss any work. But it's February 10th and 11th, and you can go to ConcreteDesignSchool.com to read more about the Fundamentals Workshop. And we're going to be listing some more advanced workshops here soon. I've had a lot of people reach out to me lately and ask, when's our next Pinnacle? When's the next Fabric Forming class? When's the next Furniture Design class? And we haven't really had time to sit down and, and plan those out, but I'm going to be listing those here soon. And so look for those as well. Um, anything else? No, that's it for me, man. Okay. Well, John, until next week, adios, amigo. Adios. Good talking to you, buddy.